0: I totally appreciate that. Thank you. Good morning. Aloha. 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 Look at your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Man, it's so great to be here this morning. And, uh, you know, I'm here visiting with my wife, Grace, uh, of 17 years. We, We just celebrated our 17th anniversary on the 25th of March. Uh, That's been awesome. Uh, I have three beautiful kids. Man, I just got to say, I'm encouraged this morning being here worshiping with you. And, you know, your taiko drums. I could, you know, Peter was talking on the side. Man, you can feel that in your soul. You know, the Japanese culture is huge in Hawaii. And uh, I've never heard taiko drums in Hawaii. So I came all the way up here to hear taiko drums. Fantastic. Your singing is awesome. You know, your uh, mic Man, bro, where's Mike at? Bro, just a fantastic job. My heart goes out to you and just your story of faith and how God is using you to to uh, influence our hearts and our minds and think about our lives. And uh, you will see your daughter in heaven. It's fantastic. My my heart goes out to the Garcias. You know, Peter gave me a call and talked to me about, you know, coming out to an Asian Jubilee. And, and I'm inspired by them. Uh, you know, they're heroes in my faith. They're heroes of my faith. Uh, of the work that they've done, not only in Los Angeles but all over the world, and and uh, you're very, very lucky to have leaders like that. And uh, let's give them a hand, amen. But they're also lucky to have you as well. Let's give you, you, you a hand, amen. It's awesome. Now let's look in Mark chapter 11. I know the theme today is called triumph, and you know I've been thinking about this, about triumph, and uh, how triumphant of a story Mike just shared with us. And as we begin and look in Mark, Mark chapter 11, uh, let, let's, let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much that uh, I can be up here in, in West Covina and worship with brothers and sisters here. And, and it's like this in Hawaii as well. Is the same warmth and love and faith and that we could be all over the world worshiping at the same time, thinking about you and thinking about Jesus. We pray this morning that you would inspire our hearts, encourage our hearts, empower our hearts, Lord, to love you even more. Thank you so much. Be with us in our lesson. We look forward to next week as the whole world will be celebrating Easter. And I pray that we can center our hearts not only this week, but also next week, because really the victory lies next week. And we love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, in Mark chapter 11, it says, As they approached Jerusalem, in verse 1, and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, tell him, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. You know, you know what I thought when I first read this? I thought, did Jesus tell these guys to steal a colt? That's what I thought. I don't know if you thought that, but I thought... Did he just tell them to steal? I know he didn't tell them to steal, but that's how my mind goes. In verse 4, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying the colt. They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they, wouldn't that be such a cool thing if you could do that? You could just go and ask for anything you want. And when somebody asks you, Why are you doing that? Jesus told me to take it. Okay, go. I mean, imagine the things that you would have probably taken, right? Or asked for if, if that was really like that. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Which means to save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And, you know, this. if you look at the subheading here, it's entitled The Triumphant Entry. And I've always wondered, I don't know if you have, but I've always wondered why this is called The Triumphant Entry. It would seem that the triumph really would be next week at the cross. Where God triumphs in a big way. But think about this passage for a minute. Here's a couple of things we know from it. Is that Jesus went to Jerusalem fulfilling a 500 year prophecy. A messianic prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. 9. He rode in on a cult. Not about you, but that doesn't seem triumphant to me. I would have rode in on something bigger than a donkey. I think I would have rode in on a stallion. But as I was doing some research in this, in the Old Testament... If a king came in on a stallion, it represented that not only did he declare himself to be king, that he declared wartime. And that's why he came in on a stallion. Jesus coming in on a cult not only declared himself king, but it was to declare peace. And so the people missed it, right? They're thinking, man, I'm going to get a king that's going to flat out like we're going to be freed and redeemed and delivered from the Roman Empire. And yet he came to bring a message of peace. What seems triumphant is that people cheered him on and saying all these great things about him. And I imagine it to be like the Macy's Day parade. You know, you know, that is like there's this huge parade and everybody's honoring Jesus. But I'm not so sure this was what was triumphant to him. Now, go with me in context to Matthew chapter 10. And let me show you a passage that I, I think seems triumphant. And this is the passage I want to read to you in Mark chapter 10. In verse 32, and and I think it makes Mark 11 read differently after you read this. It says, They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. You know, as I was doing some research about this passage, in the Gospels, Jesus predicts his own death and tells the disciples that five different times. In Matthew chapter 16, 17, Mark 8, Luke 9, and this one in in Mark chapter 10. And so when I read this passage, it makes me think, boy, he really knew what he was getting into. Like, he really knew what he was walking into By going to Jerusalem. And this passage teaches that he was the one leading the way to his own death. Into a place of extreme suffering. And he's the one leading the charge. Now if it was me, I don't know if I'd be the guy leading the charge to my own death. To my own suffering. That's why I love movies like 300. Where you got Leonidas fighting against the Persians. And at a time where he should retreat, he's like, go for glory, right? That's triumphant. How about Braveheart? That's triumphant, fighting against the English. If you don't like, if you're Asian, you go okay. The Asian Braveheart, the Last Samurai, right? <laughs> Katsumoto, just giving his all, giving his life to the death. That's triumphant. And so when I look at this passage, the triumph—I don't know if Jesus looked at those things that happened to him, and people cheering and all those things—is very triumphant. I think what's triumphant, perhaps is looking at what's ahead and what God called him to do, which is to die for us. And to do it, and to have extreme suffering that you're facing before you, that he was facing, and then to lead the way to do that, that seems very triumphant to me. And I look at that and I wish, I pray I can have a heart like that. That no matter how difficult life gets for me, I can... Face it, no matter even if it's extreme suffering, because let's face it, the life of the disciple. I appreciate Mike sharing. He's went through suffering and it's going to it's making him a deeper person than when I don't wish that on him. I I pray that, you know, God will give him even more comfort. But boy, it is deepening his faith, deepening his life. He's searching, he's wrestling. And that's triumphant to me. That's unbelievable. And I'm inspired by that. You know, I'm going to show you a video and I'm going to cue the video for a minute of. but there's a video I want to show that there's a part in American history that I am particularly proud of. I'm proud to be Japanese-American. I'm not saying I'm I'm, I'm only proud of Japanese-Americans. I'm just proud to be Japanese-American. And uh, my grandfather served in, the, uh, served in World War II in the Army in the 442nd Infantry of the 100th Battalion, where Japanese-Americans from Hawaii who served their country in the face of persecution. And and because of their ethnic background of being Japanese, fighting against the Japanese, uh, their families were put in internment camps. And yet these men still went forward to represent their country, even though they were persecuted against. And I want to to show you a video of what I put together. My grandfather passed away in 2006, and, and I showed this at my grandfather's funeral.
1: young Japanese men of the second generation Nisei were often eager to fight against the Axis powers. Japanese American units were created in the Army. The 442nd Infantry Regiment was the largest Nisei unit fighting in Italy and southern France and were known for their bravery and determination. As reflected by the unit motto, Go for Broke. Go for Broke, a Hawaiian slang term from the dice game craps that meant to risk everything, give everything you have, all or nothing. These Japanese-American units suffered an unprecedented casualty rate of 314% and received over 18,000 individual decorations. Perhaps most telling of the sacrifices made by these gallant soldiers were the 9,486 Purple Hearts the 442nd Combat Infantry Group emerged as the most decorated combat unit of its size in the history of the United States Army. For its service in eight major campaigns in Italy and France, the 100th Battalion and 442nd Regimental Combat Team earned eight Presidential Unit Citations. President Truman was so moved by their bravery in the field of battle during World War II that he issued an American order to desegregate the armed forces. On June 21, 2000, 22 Asian Pacific American U.S. Army World War II veterans received the nation's highest decoration for valor, the Medal of Honor. This action corrected their not receiving these decorations in World War II when the prejudice of the time kept them from receiving their just recognition then. Twenty of the 22 recipients were members of the 100th Infantry Battalion. This unit was already considered the most highly decorated unit of its size in U.S. military history.
0: Think about this video. You know, it makes me proud to be Japanese-American. I'm proud of those who serve in the military, you know, and and especially their spouses as well. I'm proud of my grandfather who served. But, you know, spiritually speaking, I'm so proud to be a Christian who serving God is really about that model going for broke. Risking it all. Your dreams, your finances, your relationships, sometimes even your family and your life to care for a lost world. And, you know, people may not respond to what you do, but what really is more honorable than that is to be able to risk your life and your faith for Jesus, because that's exactly what he did for you and I. And so... You know, in Second Timothy four, Paul said that I'm poured out like a drink offering, meaning I have nothing left to give at the end of our Christian lives. We're not supposed to have anything left in us. We're supposed to leave it all on the field, leave it all toward people that we're reaching out to so that our world could be lost. And so look with me in Mark chapter 10. How can we live a life? How can we imitate Jesus' faith and live a life of triumph? Because I want to live a life of triumph. Do you? I want to live a life that matters, that makes a difference, that, that leaves its mark on this world. But not so much so my name could be lifted up, but so, so that Christ's name could be lifted up. And in Mark chapter 10, I want, to talk, I want you to consider two ways, you know, that, and look at Jesus' faith and how we can imitate it to have a life of triumph. And in Mark chapter 10, uh, they, they, they're probably putting up verses uh, 35. Can you go down to verse 42? Keep going down. Maybe not. I'll just read. How about I read this? You follow me in verse 42. Amen. It says, you know, as as after Jesus predicts his death, he goes, you know, what would your mindset be after you tell everybody man, what, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to face death? What would your mindset be? Would you te- would you would you be telling people this right here? In verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you were on the way to your deathbed, would you be talking about serving? I can tell you a lot of things I would be talking about, but not right here. But I don't think serving would be one of them. And that's what he was telling his disciples to do is in the midst of him going through what's going to be happening. He's telling his disciples, man, serve. That's powerful to me. It's easy to serve people when they serve you, isn't it? It's easy to serve people who love you, who respect you, who appreciate all you're doing. It's so easy to serve people like that. But what's triumphant is being able to serve people who don't respect you, who don't appreciate you, who don't serve you. That's triumphant. Amen. If you want to live a triumphant life, consider this. Having the faith to serve even when he didn't benefit. Point number one is. As you look at Jesus' faith, imitate his faith to serve, even when he didn't benefit from it. You know, I believe that the greatest honor we can have as a Christian is to serve. And the most part, I believe Christians really believe this. And we really believe it's an honor to serve. I believe that. I believe you believe that. And even want to. To me, the issue seems to be that as you age as a Christian, what it's, I don't know if this happens to you, but this happens to me. I call it... Serving fatigue. I don't know if you can relate to that. That's where you've been serving for so long that it kind of feels like you have nothing left to give if you don't get filled back up to keep serving. It's like pouring iced tea, right? If you pour iced tea and, you know, you keep pouring, but you don't ever fill it back up, you're not going to have anything left to give. It's like how I drove here on the way. I was driving Dave Kim's car, and, you know, we were probably... A third of a third, half of the way there and it was on E. And I literally thought, I think I can make it. But doesn't that character, I don't know about you, but that characterizes my spiritual life a lot. Where I'm giving and giving and giving. I can do this. I can make that. I can keep serving here. But I really, I'm on E though. And it's funny. Here's some signs. You might be seeing some signs of serving fatigue. where well, you lack concern for people, but more concern for self. That's a sign that you're because you didn't do that when you first became a Christian, right? When you first became a disciple, it's like, man, I'm willing to serve at any cost. You know, whatever happens, I'm here. I'll serve. But over time, after you've been doing it for a period of time, it's easy to suffer serving fatigue. Another sign is you're irritated by the people you serve. I know you don't feel that. I feel that sometimes I'm irritated by the people I'm serving. In fact, when you have serving fatigue, you can even hate the people that you end up serving because you have nothing left. You know, you're just there. I'm there. I'm there in my life right now where I believe I have serving fatigue. I'll share that with you, you know, and I'm there and I'm working through it. And I believe there's a way to work through it. And I'll share that in a second. You know, you hear people asking to serve and you get sweaty and you start to pray. I hope they don't ask me to serve. You have serving fatigue. If a leader walks by you and says hi and you think the reason they said hi is to get you to serve, you have serving fatigue. Like if Peter walks by you and you start getting nervous and he said hi in a way that made me feel a little like he's thinking I want to serve. He just said hi. He was thinking about how to work the service and make it go. You have serving fatigue. And you know what? I believe all Christians go through this. When you get serving fatigue, it's not an issue of if you're bad hearted or not. It's an issue that you're fatigued. Now look with me in Mark chapter six. I want to give you something that fuels. It would be such a bummer if I left you hanging there. Like now that you all are aware that you may have serving fatigue, no hope for you. In Mark chapter six, let me give you something that can encourage you in this, that fuels the heart to serve. Amen. Because when you look at Christ. He's serving all the time. But, you, but look at his prayer life as well. He's usually praying a lot more than we are. He's usually spending time in lonely places, getting with God a lot more than we are. You know what I mean? His diet spiritually is much more with God than perhaps mine is. And in, in Mark chapter 6, the context of this is... In, if you look at me in verse 32, that's what we're going to read. The context of this is, is... In Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes to his own hometown... And he could barely do any miracles there because of the lack of faith of the people. And, it, and there's a great point in that, you know, where there is, there is no faith, there are no miracles. And when there is faith, miracles just happen. You don't even have to work at it. Isn't that awesome to know that? All of us in our heart, deep, deep hearts go, man, I hope that happens to me. That I, g- Great things can happen and I don't even have to work at it. I, I want that. And it's possible. I'm not saying just shoot for that because we're lazy. I'm saying with faith, God can do miracles. And as, as these miracles, they start going out, and Jesus takes his 12, and they go out two by two, and they start teaching. And then the Bible teaches in, in chapter 6 and verse 12, they, they repented, and they drove out, and demons started coming out of people. Miracles started to happen again. And, and that's the exciting thing to th- see, right, when you see a miracle happens. But then the context is in, in, in chapter 6 and verse 14, right above that. John the Baptist gets beheaded. That's a defeat. That's a hit to our faith. Where you know, it's great that miracles are happening, but something might happen to you during the week where you have a hit to your faith. A, a person you know perhaps left the church, or a death in the family, and different challenging things happen. That's what happened to Jesus. His his cousin died, and I believe he was sorrowful about it. It's not like he even died for the cause. He died because he was challenging a king to be righteous and a, and, a, and a woman didn't like it and then got his head chopped off because of it. That's what happened. You go, well, wow, that's unjust. You're right. That was. He didn't even die for the cause. And yet Christ endured that. And I believe he was probably pretty sad in that time. And then they get together and they report good news, you know, and I think about just Jesus' life. I can relate to that. It's similar to our lives. You're trying to juggle your spiritual life, right? You're trying to get to church. You're trying to have a quiet time in the morning. You're also trying to juggle your, your marriage and your family. When am I going to have time with my wife and my kids? And You're doing all these things. Then, then you're trying to juggle your professional life, right? You're trying to work. You're trying to excel. And you're trying to mesh all of that, you know, as a disciple. I can relate to that. I've been have been a Christian for 20 years, married for 17, with three beautiful kids. I've been in the ministry for 19 years. One thing seems to be constant in my 20 years as a Christian is I'm tired all the time. Can you relate? Maybe you're not tired. I say you're not doing enough if you're not tired. But I'm tired. Just having kids and getting and just doing that alone is challenging, you know. But to do everything you have to do to be a disciple, it's tiring. And I don't know if you can relate to that. In verse 32. So what, Jesus, actually verse 31, so what Jesus does, check this out. He says, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. In other words, Jesus said, OK, I know all of you are tired. So here's what we should do. Let's go get some rest. Let me take you on a spiritual retreat, a spiritual vacation. right?" So imagine you for a minute, let me throw you in this scenario, okay? Imagine from the beginning of the year, I know you've been all working hard. I put money, you've been probably working very hard. You agree on that? No, a lot of you didn't say no. Yeah, maybe you're just tired. (laughs) Okay, you're working really hard. You've probably seen many victories in your region. God do some miracle after miracle after miracle. Just seeing Mike share there is a miracle, guys, right there. Sharing his heart after, after that. Going through that challenge in his life and still having faith at the end of it all and standing up here sharing it is a victory in itself right there. Testament to his own faith. You've been, I think you you may may be feeding the poor. You might be working on your big prayers. Not really sure. You might be working on all your big prayers, doing all kinds of things. You might have seen some defeats happen in, in your region this year as well. Personally, even collectively, people going through some challenging times. Uh, and when you go through all that, you know, man, it's great, right? It's great to have all these victories. But when you have defeats as well, you feel that is, as well. And all those victories come at a price, though. There's a price to all that. At the end of it, I think you're tired. You're like, yeah, I'm so tired right now, man. I'm just happy to be here at church. And fired up. You know what I mean? Trying to put a smile on. And in your tiredness, Peter and Laura awesome leaders they are. Say, we're all going to go on a retreat this week. All of you. Amen? And you're fired up. You're ready to go. And in verse 32, So they went, by themse- they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot, ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd. Stop with me there for a minute. So Peter promised you this. You guys are all going on a cruise. You, that day you're fired up. You get there. You're all spiffed up. You're ready to go. We're going on a cruise. Some One of your song leaders is busting out. Encouraged my soul. You're singing. You're happy. You're fired up. You're ready to have a spiritual relaxing retreat. Because you deserve it. Little do you know. That the rest of West Covina. Goes on ahead of you. The people who heard about your church that has been trying to come but just can't have it, been able to. They're at the destination where you're going. And when you get there, all of you see a large crowd waiting to get with you. Now, what's your first thought? Did you think, thanks, Peter, I appreciate that. (laughs) Did you think that? Did you think, man, I'm so Amen. I'm a Christian. I'm so fired up right now. Would that? I wonder what our thought would be like, right? That when somebody promises, you know, your hopes get up for something and then gets get dashed. A sister asks you out on a date, then cancels you to take, cancels on you to take another brother out. Your boss is going to give you a raise, but then decides it to give it to the person you were working with. Your husband promises a date night. But chose to go out with the boys to play basketball. Dude, if that's you, I will pray for you. (laughs) To be honest, I'm thinking, thank God that's not me. (laughs) That's so evil. That's so evil. That's terrible. (laughs) But that's how you are when you're tired, right? You're like, thank God that's not me, man. I'll pray for them. Sheesh, go to God. You're going to need some help on this. With your wife, you went to a ball game instead of promising. You promised your wife a date and you went to a ball game instead and you canceled on that last minute. Dude, you better be in dynamic marriage, man. (laughs) When I'm spiritually tired, and I believe disciples were like this as well. Is it's easy to just the last thing I want to do is be around people when I'm tired. That's the last thing. I don't want to take a phone call. I don't want to hear somebody complain about this or that. Or, I, you know, Reese, can you Reese? Excuse me, Reese. Do you can I can I get you for a minute? It depends on what. <laughs> you want to give me ten thousand dollars? I could get with you right now. You want to talk to me about a problem? Talk to the Lord about it. You know, I mean, that's how I get. It's ridiculous, but that's what happens in my own unspirituality when I'm tired. You know, and I've been tired, and it's a challenge. I want me time. I think it's in these times. You guys, you guys watch Saturday Night Live? Okay. You ever, you ever watch Saturday Night Live? I, I remember this skit, and I, I want to use this as an illustration that could maybe encourage us. Uh, I wanna, uh, there's this skit of, of a doctor's office, right? And in this doctor's office, there's this nurse, and this nurse, uh, she has an accent. So when people come in and they want to get her attention, she 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 literally says "Simadana." Which means, simmer down now. Like, relax. Chill out. Take a seat. I'll get to you in a second, right? So people come up and she goes, Simadana. Say that with me. Simadana. Yeah, exactly. One day I was, my, my two daughters were fighting, you know, my oldest and my, my youngest daughter. And, you know, I thought it would be funny. I remembered that illustration. I thought, oh, let me teach my daughter that, you know? So I said, honey, when, 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 when Kainani gets on your nerves like that, you tell her, Simadana. So one day, we were laughing about it, thinking nothing would happen. One day, I overheard them fighting, and then my daughter Kalei is like, Kainani? now." You know, and I thought, I don't know if I want to teach her that, but I didn't plan on it going like that. You know, and then Grace and I were fighting one day. And as we were fighting, my daughter comes up to me. She goes, Dad, are you and mom fighting right now? I said, Kind of. She goes, Dad, simadana. And then I said, What? And she said, Then she broke it down in syllables, Dad, simadana. And I went, What? That's what she said. You know, and I thought, You know what? That's ridiculous. She's right. I need to now. I need to relax. When Jesus came off that boat, the first thought he had was compassion on them. I want to make sure that was there. (laughs) I was like, was he angry at them? No. He had compassion on those people. That's the first thought he had when he came off. That's not my first thought, but I'm tired. (laughs) I would have crucified somebody that day, man. So if there's a lesson you learn in this, you know, having the faith to serve even when it doesn't benefit you, what fuels that is compassion, is being able to get with God. You've got to get with God so it can fill you up. So when that opportunity comes, instead of anger, you can reach for some compassion. Does that make sense? Serving a lot of times doesn't benefit you. It certainly didn't benefit Christ. And yet he did it anyway. That's triumphant. The second thing I'm going to do in Luke chapter 9, and we'll close out of I'll give you two more passages and we'll close out. In Luke chapter 19, here's the parallel passage to Mark chapter 11. It helps me to know that, wow, you know what? I want to serve, Lord. I just need some, I need some help getting there. And I pray that, you know, this morning, if you are tired, amen, it, that means you're doing something. Amen. That means you're doing something. Don't beat yourself up. Maybe you have serving fatigue right now. If you just hate everybody, you got serving fatigue, man. You need, you need some time out a little bit. And somebody needs to go, hey, you know what? Simma donna. I mean, you know, don't, don't all get into that in the fellowship later today. I, I remember doing this in another region, and I saw somebody talking on the side, and somebody was going, you know what you need right now? You need to sima donna. And I go, hey, amen, that works. The second thing is in, in the, the parallel account, to Mark chapter 11 is in Luke chapter 19. And I just want to read in verse 41, you know, as, as it's the same story that happens. Jesus comes in riding on a, on a colt and then people praise him. And in verse 41 it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, even if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The second point I want to make is, you know, what's what's crazy about this passage is Jesus came into the city and everybody was fired up about him. Right. They just didn't know that he was going to go die the next week and that he's leading the charge of his own death. But he wept in this account. The Bible says that he wept. And I was doing some research on it and scholars suggest Yet Jesus wept because the people didn't know why he came. In fact, in verse 44, Jesus even says, I'm here, but you don't even recognize that God is coming. People didn't recognize it. You know, they thought they were getting a king to save them from Rome, but they were actually getting a king that's going to save them from their own sins. They thought they were getting a king with a message of war, but he had a message of peace. And and they were the people were praising him. And yet in, in the next week, they would be rejecting him. And the part that moves me and and I'm inspired by is the fact that he would weep over that, that he would just weep. I want to give you that to me, loving people when they love you. That's not Christianity, loving them when they hate you. That's Christianity, loving people when they appreciate you. That's not Christianity, loving them when they don't appreciate you. That's Christianity. That's triumphant living. Would you agree on that? And so. The last passage I want to look is in John chapter 13. Okay, turn with me there, and we'll be, we'll close out. And this passage means a lot to me because it involves my grandfather. And in John chapter 13, you know that you know the passage where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, right? I love that passage. But the context of that in chapter 12 is is that Jesus predicts his own death. He puts up with the. If you just look at the subheadings in chapter 12, you know he predicts his own death. He puts up with the Jews' unbelief. Judas betrays him. All the disciples are going to leave. And in the midst of knowing that, he washes their feet. That's pretty triumphant. And in chapter uh, 13, verse 12, it says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so the first point is about having the faith to serve even when it doesn't benefit you. The second point is having the faith to love. Even when you're rejected. Having the faith to love. Even when you're rejected, that's triumphant. Amen. If you can do that, I think your Lord is pleased with you. I think he's smiling on us when we can have a heart like that. You know, and and I thought about that. Even the passage that we teach other people in John 13, 34 and 35. Right. I mean, we all know. What is that passage? Love one another as I have loved you. We all know that passage. We teach that. Right. That passage was taught in the midst of major betrayal. You know, people are betraying him. Judas is betraying him. Then he predicts Peter betraying. I mean, all this betrayal and heart toxic relationships around him. And he, and he's the one who comes up with that command. So, look, guys, in the midst of all this, love one another. You know, it's easy to love people when they love you. That's not real Christianity. True, triumphant Christianity is, is loving people in spite of their sins. Amen. When they're at their worst, you love them. You know, when they show you their worst side, you love them. Because that's how Christ is. And I remember, you know, this passage, I mean, our lives, truth is, our lives are messy. I mean, maybe your life is really clean. Mine's not. Not before I became a Christian, not after I'm a Christian. It's just messy because sin is involved. And I remember looking at this passage differently when I was taking care of my grandfather. And that guy you saw on the screen was my grandfather who served in in the war. And, you know, my grandmother and grandmother, grandmother and grandfather were like my parents. My mom was a single mom at that time. And, and, and because she was raising two kids at age 20 years old, uh, she needed some help. So we moved in with my grandmother and grandfather. And they're the ones who kind of who raised us. They're really like my mother and father, you know. And my mom is like my older sister. And... And, you know, all, everything that's happened in my life was like that. But, but what made me look at this passage differently now is the experience I had with my grandfather. Is I had the privilege of taking care of him, bringing him home, and having him die in my house. And I got to when, when he got to a point where he couldn't do it anymore, I got the privilege of, of taking care of my own grandfather and washing him. Now, you've got to understand, you know, for an older Japanese man to be able to have his grandson wash him, Extremely humble for him to be able to have that on his part, to allow himself. He would rather never that to happen. You know what I'm saying? But to have me do it, I felt the most honor, And it makes me look at this passage differently now. Is when I was washing my grandfather, I remember washing him from head to toe. And I remember thinking, man, I have so much respect for the one I'm washing right now. The man who has raised me. Everything, all my education, all the schools, all my basic needs I've had was because this man sacrificed his life. And I was washing him head to toe. I can't tell you the respect I felt, the honor that I felt. In, 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 in the beginning, I thought, I was like, oh, man, this is going to feel so awkward. But as soon as I started washing him and he sat down and I started, I started crying, washing my grandfather, feeling, man, there's so, I have so much respect for you right now. You know these same disciples, who are the ones who are going to betray him. A king would bow down and wash their feet. That's triumphant living. And I can't help but think, you know, as I would have been thinking, Peter, I'm not flat. I'm not going to wash his feet. I'm going to wash. I'm going to give him something else. That dude's going to betray me, flat. Two days, he's going to betray me. I'm going to cut his feet. That's what I'm going to do. I mean, would you would you think that? I mean, am I the only? Am I the only one in here who thinks like that? I wouldn't wash his feet. I'd accidentally cut off his pinky toe. I mean, I don't know. It would be like, gosh. But I can't help but think, as Christ has the ability to look at us in our weakness. I think the reason why he bent down to wash. It's because he knew that these guys, as much as they're going to betray, if they're shown an example of how to feel loved and believed in, at their worst, it's going to bring the good out of them. These same guys who betrayed are the ones who died for their faith later. And I think we can be like that as well. And so our Lord will gladly, I used to look at this like, that's amazing that you would do that, Lord. To me, that's triumphant. It's so easy to be cynical, guys, in this world. And unloving. It takes no faith to be unloving. To see somebody at their worst and kick them when they're down, that takes no faith to do. It takes much faith to be loving, though. To see somebody when they're at their weakest and, 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 and love them through it and go get them. Don't be cynical. Don't be skeptical. Don't fall into Satan's trap. Let me close out with this story. It reminds me of a story of a woman who took her husband to the doctor's office. And after his checkup, the doctor said, Your husband is suffering from a very serious infection. The husband, who's hard of hearing, said, what did he say? His wife said, he says you're sick. The doctor went on, but there's hope. You need to reduce his stress. Each morning, give him a healthy breakfast. Be pleasant, nice, and kind. For lunch and dinner, make him his favorite meal. Don't discuss your problems with him. It will only make his stress worse. Don't yell at him or argue with him. And most importantly... Just cater to your husband's every whim. If you can do this for the next six months to a year, I think your husband will have a complete recovery. The husband said, What did the doctor say? His wife said, He says you're going to die. I mean, it takes no faith, right, to be cynical. I pray today. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I love that. That illustration is awesome. You know? But it's, it takes no faith to be cynical. I pray you would consider our two points this morning for how to live a triumphant life and how to look at Jesus' faith you know, and imitate it. The faith to serve even when he didn't benefit and the faith to love even when he felt rejected. And as you go your way, I, I hope to leave you with this thought. Uh, the thought that my daughter always leaves with me. She always goes, as I go out of my day and go out of the house or drop off at school, she always goes, Daddy, be brave today because God is with you. As you go your week this week, be brave because God is with you. Amen. Thank you for your time and attention.